You're listening to the Madcast Media Network. Madcastmedia.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the best store in the universe. Thousands of shirts, but not really. Shop now and support the show at MaddoxRules.com. Welcome to the best debate in the universe. Every debate in the universe from feeling frisky to drinking whiskey. With over 4 million downloads, I'm your host, Maddox. With me is the rear admiral of tangents, Ron Babcock. That reminds me of something. <laughs> and special guest this week, Michael Tapp. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Welcome back to the show. Guys, we've got an exciting show today. We've got a debate I think that a lot of people won't see coming because this is something that... Uh, it's in my wheelhouse. It's in our wheelhouse, Michael. Uh, should you become a writer? That is <laughs> that is the debate this week. And Ron, too. Yeah, I mean, you write, Ron. You write your jokes. Do, yeah. do you- <laughs> Why do you say it like that? This felt like my aunt was like, how are your little skits coming? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just realized, like, yeah, Ron's a writer, too. What do I say? Yeah, I yeah. write my jokes. Yes, I do write my jokes. Occasionally, I write little scripts. So you write them down before you say them? I write them down before I say them. I write them. I have my huh. Google Docs. Yeah, I have, yeah. A, I have a Google account. I'm you a have, writer. What? Right? Look at that. Three writers. You have a Google a Google account? Yeah. Yes, but I, I, I wait. I don't think I, I have one, but I, I, it's like through it's like Google Plus. Google you mean? Docs? No, yeah. No. Do you not use Google Docs for real? For real? Oh my gosh! You gotta get you gotta get on Google. You gotta Docs. get on that Google Docs. Why man. do I need Google Docs? First of all, we're about to do an ad right now. Just uh, yeah, first yeah, of all, yeah. you, can, you can access your documents from any device. You know, that's it, fine. I can do that anyway. And it's collaborative. It's fantastic. But before we get, why do talk, I need anybody else's help? Yeah. Well. I'm a, I'm a, I write by myself. They need your help. So, <laughs> this I understand. Yeah. This is true. This there, is true. And okay. we'll, Fair give, enough. we'll give me one of these. There it is. So, Michael, you are, you've been working in development for a long time. You've worked with Dustin Hoffman, uh, Stan Lee, and who's the guy who did Armageddon? Oh, uh, Jonathan Hensley, right? Is that his pronoun- uh, how you yes. pronounce it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he, did, he worked on Armageddon and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. You've, yes. you've had this long storied career in Hollywood. Uh, I mean, how long have you been doing this stuff? I've been a WGA writer for oh, well over a decade. Um, a lot of people who get into the Writers Guild of America, they qualify once and then they never qualify again. Um, it's it's really a, a hard. It's hard, I understand so the to, reason for the debate. You have to qualify again and again to stay into the WGA. Absolutely, like every year. Well, you can it can last up to four years that you're in, but you have to if you want health care benefits or pension uh, funds. Okay, okay. You have to qualify by earning a certain amount each year. Same thing, yeah. Same thing in like SAG-AFTRA. Yeah, but a lot of people don't don't qualify more than once. And mm. uh, you know, you think about the industry. You know, thirty thousand scripts are submitted to studios every year, and how many movies do they really make? Mm-hmm. I mean, studios will make between six and twelve movies tops. You know, you're looking at you know a couple hundred movies, two hundred and fifty movies maybe on a good year, right? Yeah. That really get some decent theatrical representation, and you have thirty thousand scripts coming into the studios of people who think they can make it as a screenwriter. Well, speaking of making it as a screenwriter, you've written a book. It's pre-writing your screenplay. Is that what it's called? It's exactly right. Pre-writing your screenplay: a step-by-step guide to generating stories. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so, so when uh, 
uh, you know, for people who are interested in becoming a writer, this is it, it's an invaluable resource. Well, here's the thing: I'm interested in becoming a pre-writer. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this book really speaks to me. Well, basically, what what the book is is that a lot of people have written a lot of books about analyzing. Okay, this is how movies work, and then this is how you write a script. This is the formatting of the script, and then this is how you might edit it. And they kind of cover all these little, all these important things that you would need to know in a general sense, but nobody breaks down exactly how you do it, why you do it, and how to just, the whole, my whole book takes place before you actually start writing the script. It's about how you put together so you have all the elements ready so that you never get writer's block. It's, it's literally the formula to never have writer's block again and to always have something to write. So it literally starts with a chapter that tells you if you have no idea what you want to write next, this is how you start. You start from your heart, and I'll tell, you how, I'll tell you what questions you have to ask yourself to figure out what you want to write about. And then you take that, you lead that through genre, you add characters to it to prove the point you want to make, you add characters to go against that point, others to, to play all different sides in the character and the journey, and then at the end there's structure, and I break down why all these different gurus of screenwriting, how they're amazing, and they all have structure, different structure ways, different ways of doing structure. And... I just basically lay it out to show you why they all overlap perfectly and they're all really teaching the same structure. And if you understand that it's all the same thing and how it works and most importantly, why it works, why it affects people and why we follow that method, which is all explained, then you can understand how to apply it and exactly why you might break a rule if you choose to go against the tide. For me, you always learn all the rules and all the things people would expect you to know about writing just so that you are well-informed enough to make an informed decision on where to break it, where to alter it, so you can shock your audience and give them a little awe. Yeah, I feel like it's like a lot, like when you have a different teacher's, like one teaches karate, one teaches hapkido, but they both teach you how to kick ass. Yeah, <laughs> and like a lot of times, people get worked up into the well. This guru, this guy says this, and they're like, you know, this is right, and it's like they're all kind of right. They're all kind of right, yeah. and the truth is, is what you do is you read all the books, and then you grab little pieces from everybody because every artist has to find their own technique and their own method. And then the the end of the book, the last chapter is if you didn't build from nothing, and you somebody like a lot of the times our work that we get as writers, we are assigned a job, right. we are given something to adapt. They want to adapt a novel or a comic book, or or the producer had this idea for a story, always wanted to tell. Well, you, it tells you okay. Now at the end of it, it shows you okay. If you have a surface idea for for a story, how to dig down deep and find the soul to it, and then and then explore it coming back out from the bottom back up. So it's like you can either dig down from the surface to figure out the opening all the way down to the core of what a movie is or you can start at the core and build an idea from there so no matter how you're approaching a story with an idea in mind already or not the book kind of allows shows you the method for how to go dig down deep and then explore from there and so that everything is layered perfectly so everything serves everything exactly the way it's being written to say the statements and argue against them that you are specifically trying to do when you tell your story because what good is a story if it doesn't mean anything if it's it's not there. Look, we don't ever want to be on a soapbox when we preach story. Never. You, you don't want to tell anybody what to believe. But if you have a belief and you want to share it, the best way to do that is show them a very convincing argument posted against and even the best convincing argument against your idea that you can possibly give. Because only by challenging your ideas and what you want to prove can you actually prove that your ideas have merit. Right. 
Yeah, that's that's a very good uh, rhetorical strategy. It's something that John Oliver does very well, and I don't know if people give him enough credit for it because if you pay attention, people who people like us who are writers and we we pay attention to these things and we notice rhetorical devices that people use. It's it's a technique that's that's very persuasive. You have to lean into the criticism of your argument. Absolutely. Address it first. And then move on to your argument, because that that shows that you're not afraid of the criticism and you've already anticipated it. So, yeah, that's that's a very useful strategy. That's very. So this sounds like something that's right up my alley that I would need to brush up on, because really thinking about story from its core, you know, from, from its core to uh, to the beginning and, and how it ends um, is is something that seems like it should be an intrinsic part of of a screenwriter's arsenal. Like you should know how to do that. And you said that this is something I'm kind of curious about. You said that you have some questions that you you tell writers when they're pre-writing to ask themselves absolutely to get over a writer's block. What's the first question? Do you have Do you have it off the top of your head? Yeah. What is the last? If you have a last breath on Earth, and it can be heard by a million people, and you can say one thing to change the world, think about what you want to say. Oh wow! I farted. <laughs> Might not be your top choice, but it can be on your list. But the definitely idea, up there. What, Ron panicked. <laughs> but seriously, what what is what is worth writing about? You're going to ask yeah. people to pay a certain amount of money to watch this piece of material, yeah. and it should not only be incredibly entertaining, hmm. but it should help people think through lives in their modern day and life. I mean, entertainment it actually should and can be life lesson. Because people can't separate imagination from fact sometimes in their head. That's why people get so emotionally involved while watching a movie. And they get, they get attracted to characters and they start to feel like them and feel for them. And we cry in the movies. None of that stuff is real that is happening on the screen. Right. But we totally empathize because we take it in. And if you can use that tool to say something that will be beneficial to other people, which every movie should, there's no reason not to make a point. There's no reason not to. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of people talking, a bunch of action scenes. And I love action scenes, and I love a bunch of people talking. But <laughs> but if there is no point, there's there's no heart. Right. I like that you're starting from a big idea of like, mm-hmm. what what's the big thing I want to say? Because yes. it forces you to think through your idea to be like, what is this actually about? That's right. And then you filter, you go specific, like, okay, this is what I want to say, and like, this is how I'm going to get there. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times, like, when most people think about movies, they don't think like that. They think like, oh, it's about this dude. And they think they from start... the outside in. My yeah. book teaches you to think from the inside out. Everybody wants to look on the surface for an idea. But to me, that is, it, it can work. People have these the ideas that you go to a what if. What if this happened? What if that happened? I read this in the news. I overheard this conversation. And then they try to make a story out of things that occur outside themselves. And and because if they haven't heard or seen or read something lately that really fired them up, they have no idea what to write. When I tell you the answer of what to write, you don't need to look outside yourself for the answer to that. You can look outside yourself for the arguments you can make for and against something. But in the end, every writer should be able to write because you have a freaking soul and you have, you've experienced life. You've had your heart broken. You, there are things that you feel are out of your reach and it freaking kills you. And, and you need to know, and you have things to say. You have so much to worry about in life. Yeah. And, and this is a chance to get up out of your chair and talk about those things that dig down deep into you and jab into your soul and really wrestle with it yourself. Cause the truth is, is I write for me. And at the end of the day, when my script is done, whether they produce it or not, the journey was the reward, 
not the spectacle that is on the screen. Because whatever happens with what I wrote, if anybody who knows the movie business well enough knows that the director does a, a, a rewrite of the script and they make it into their their vision, mm-hmm. it's never going to end up on the screen what I wrote. Right. Nothing I've ever written has ever made it to the screen the way I wrote it at all. Yeah. But I wrote something and it meant something. It got the studio to say, yes, we like that. They paid me money to basically go through a catharsis on myself. <laughs> Can you imagine that was the same thing for like a painter? Like before the painting went up in the museum, the museum director was like, all right, let me take a crack at it. And <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just gave a little mustache. mustache. Yeah. 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 yeah, I like this. is good. I like this. This is They're good. They're very conservative. You know, Monet, I love the ponds, but more frogs. Yeah, or, or, or we, like a diving board or something fun. <laughs> what if the swans were jet skis? Dude. <laughs> now, can his best friend be a dog? <laughs> <laughs> wow, this sounds like we're in a Hollywood pitch meeting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Life is uh, a Hollywood pitch meeting. Well, we've been talking a lot about how to write, but let's get to the debate this week, which is whether or not you should become a writer. That's the heart of the debate this week. Later on in the show, we've got some quick news headlines and our first ever segment, The Babcock Tip with Ron Babcock. Listen, man, I'm just a DIY guy who loves reading Martha Stewart Living, and I'm going to bring my <laughs> tips to you. They're going to save you money. They're going to be good for you. Good for the environment, good for your pocketbook. Well, we'll see about that. We haven't heard a tip yet, so we'll... we'll oh, you're going to hear... I, I'm going to tip you so hard. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> damn, I'm going to get a hard tip later. <laughs> well, we've got some voicemail as well, and the voicemail numbers on the website. Go to madcastmedia.com, click on the best debate. The voicemail number is at the bottom of every page. We listen to those voicemails. I listen to every one you guys send in. I don't always play them because there's we get a lot, but um, you know we try our best. But, you play them for us, though, and they're kind of fun. Yeah, I do. The ones that don't make them in the air. Yeah, there's some fun ones. There's some really fun ones. And and the ones that are very long and thoughtful, guys, I really appreciate those. Even though I don't play them because, you know, they're they're very long on the podcast, like three minutes. We're not going to listen to a three-minute voicemail on the podcast. But I do listen to them, and sometimes I reply to them personally. If they make a really poignant point or they, you know, they, they make a, a comment that's worth re- responding to. But that's uh, that's very rare. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, if you want to, like, actually start, like, if you can't afford a therapist right now and you just want to talk to your problems, I encourage you to call Maddox and just leave really long <laughs> voicemails <laughs> just talking through some stuff hey tell us what high school was like did you like it probably not tell us about it and i i i i've you know he will get back to you and he'll listen to all of them okay what well, buddy no that's that is a buzz that is a buzz um but let's let's get to the debate here we go wait all right that's go. michael's buzzer and here's mine and ron all right all right there we go. All right. If you guys hear a buzzer from anyone during this debate, that means someone is chiming in with an interjection or to point something out that that's factually incorrect. But Michael, as our guest this week, I'm going to give you first stab of the debate. Should you become a writer? Why or why not? Um, it's a pointed edge sword. Of course, I believe you should become a writer because I am a writer and um, I spend a lot of my free time and extra time giving back to writers to help them succeed. I co-created the WGA mentor program. Uh, which the, uh, it may be surprising, but you know, before 2010, the WGA never had a mentor program. And that's why I felt a lot of writers were getting only one job and then something would happen and they wouldn't get a second job. That's why the turnover in our industry is so hard and so few people actually make it to pension time. So it was a really big, important thing for me to do that. And I'm also on the Writers' Education Committee, and I teach in an MFA program online so that I can be anywhere I want to be when I do it uh, for Full Sail University in the master's program. I wow. teach screenwriting for that. And then I do my writing, and I have my writing jobs that I do for the Guild. Interesting. Uh, 
Okay, and I will argue that no, you should not become a writer. Uh, <laughs> you have a lot of heart, and you just went on that huge spiel. Now, look, I, I'll i tell you, my, you know, on this show, we debate both sides of an issue, and no matter what the other side is, I'll, I'll take it so we can have a debate. And I will tell you my real opinion, usually after the debate, but I'm going to tell you before the debate this time. I am truly ambivalent. Um, <laughs> because when people ask me, like, they come to see me at, like, book tours, book signings, things like that. They're like, Maddox, should I become a writer? How do I become a writer? I said, absolutely not. Do not become, do not become a writer. It is – so I'll talk about just the, the – Well, if we're telling the truth, yeah. I have a caveat as well, and yeah. mine is – if you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, then obviously, yes, you need to be a writer. And there are people out there who want to teach you, who want to help you succeed, yeah. who love bringing in writers. But if it is not your goal in life and it is not something that totally drives you, of course not. Yeah, absolutely. You know you're a writer if you can't stop writing. That's right. I can't stop writing. It's yeah. the same. You can substitute the word, should I become a stand-up? And it is the same debate. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of people who message me like, should I become a stand-up? I'm like, if you're going to become one, you're going to become one. You know, like if you want, if you have to do it, you'll do it. Like whether I'd say you should or say you shouldn't, it will have really no effect on it. Like it's one of those things like if you, if you do it, you do it. Like it, it's, it's one of those things I think people either they flirt with it and they they flirt with the idea of it and the thing that's stopping them is the amount of work and really the amount of rejection that they're going to have to suffer to do right. it because right. a lot of people aren't built to be told no that many times. There is so much rejection in any side of a creative field, whether it's acting, writing. But the thing I love about writing that is different, which is an argument towards what I'm talking about, which is becoming a writer, is that writing is the only job in the creative field that you actually can go and reinvent yourself without getting someone else's permission. An actor needs to get hired and directed. A director needs to get hired by a producer. A producer needs to be trusted by the studio and get the money for the budget to make something happen. Nobody can do their job and do the art that they love to do without somebody else giving them that opportunity. Even an actor, even futzing around and wanting to put on his own show, needs somebody to act with or needs the theater and needs a space to do it in or a camera and a cameraman to shoot it. Everybody else who wants to be an artist they, ha they have to rely on others. The writer is the only creative in show business who actually can make his own change, do what he loves to do, and not have to wait on anyone else in the entire industry in order to do it. Yeah, it he has to rely on the paper factory, the pen manufacturer. No, he doesn't. The we Google. are using computers. He has to rely on Final, final Draft. And, and okay, final fine. Draft. The big but you don't need Final Draft. Syntex is... Syntex, yeah. Syntex? Celtex. Celtex is a free program. I use Final Draft. I've used it since, the, you know since made the 90s. That's how you know when you finally can afford Final Draft. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mom. Oh, man. I were... I. I have a uh, hate hate relationship with Final Draft. <laughs> why? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Why? It's why? Just I garbage. don't even have a no, relationship with don't Final you Draft. Dare. Don't you dare! What hate is it. wrong with Final I Draft? I love Final Draft. Yeah. I I bought a copy of Final Draft. You know when I so I I decided when I started making money as a writer, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm a I'm a big boy. I'm a grown up now. I'm gonna pay for my software. I'm not gonna pirate shit. And I went out and I bought a copy of Final Draft Six, and 
that was like it still came on a CD-ROM. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I lost the CD-ROM, but I paid for the license. Right, sure. I had the license key, but but, the, you, but you licensed it, and so they I had did. a record of that you did it. Oh, you, you registered. You you would think. So I called them and said, "Hey, I lost my CD. Can I can I uh, get this uh, reinstated?" And they said, "No, not without the CD." And then and by the way, it took me about forty five minutes to get through to someone to tell me no. Oh my so. god, you're gonna be like the old man in forty years who just complains about the one bad customer service oh. experience you had, and then all of a sudden you're like, "I don't use Final Draft. Oh, They're like, terrible." Oh, it's like, like you got <laughs> jilted by a girl once, and you're like, "Fuck her, man." Yeah. Well, let's. Not, I haven't even gotten to the functionality or lack thereof of Final Draft. So it is such a broken... Ooh, we, we, we can debate about this too, <laughs> oh my, my friend. God. I I'm, love Final Draft. Really? It, the, the collaboration feature does not work. The revision edits do not work. Um, yes, they do. It, it, but it's like it's so clunky. Why is it so? Why is it so hard? Why is there three different colors and there, it can like asterisk lines that have been changed and colored yes. lines that have been changed? Of course, because it allows you to know which draft is which. Or you can, if you if more than one person is giving you notes, you can differentiate whether it's the director's notes or the producer's notes, so you know what people are saying, where they're coming from, and try to understand the perspective of the notes. As, asterisk when it works, <laughs> or you can just write it right the first time. Oh damn, Mozart oh! over here. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking man, no Nothing need a second draft right when it's perfect. Time. Okay. Damn, son, where'd you find this? <laughs> no, 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 dude. You never get it right the first time. That's the biggest misnomer. You know a sophomoric writer or an immature writer when they think they crap gold on the first do you, on the first sitting of the pot. Do you when you finish a script, do you ever go back to the first draft and read it to see the journey that it took? Yes. And, and sometimes I find something in the first draft that plays better in the new draft yeah. than than uh, whatever I have now. You, I always keep my drafts and I number them and I keep them going. I'll have like forty drafts of the same script because I, I I'm an overwriter. I'm a I'm a I'm very big on editing and making sure every sentence works, yeah. that every line moves as fluidly as possible, that you're that you're succinct, and that everything is directly forwarding the plot from every action line to every spoken line. And if it's not forwarding the plot, it better be revealing something totally unique about the character or cut it amen to that that's why i always that's like the one rule i always tell writers is to look at the line that you just added or look at the the scene or whatever mm-hmm. if you don't need it like imagine that the the movie or the the scene without it if it makes no difference cut it what is it what is it adding what are you what are you contributing to the scene if it's something that's you know you can you can literally hit delete and nobody will miss it or remember it is it making people laugh I mean that's the only thing I could think of yeah the, the, the thing that's worse is when they put things in there like somebody's you know they take a sip of their coffee or they stare out the window and look at the sunset it's like Give me a freaking break. You can do that once in a script if it's at the character low point when they're making a decision to change their life forever or give up. Okay, you get you get one freebie, but the truth is you don't even need to put that moment in there because the director is going to do that visually anyway. But I do like I do like that you're like, okay, okay you, you got to earn it. Yes. You got to use it once. For me, it's like when people write um, write status updates on Facebook with all caps. Yeah. I'm like, motherfucker, you better be earning this. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we had our guest Pyro, Gerald Pyro, on the show. He only writes in caps. Uh, I will only <laughs> unfollow him. I just can't handle it. It, no, it, it drives me nuts. Oh, I love it. He's because everything I read, he's like saying just innocuous things like, hey, my album's dropping. And it's uh, when I read it in all caps, I'm excited. I feel like it's aggressive. I'm like, yeah, his album is dropping. I once dated a girl who texted a lot in all caps, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that had something to do with the breakup. <laughs> I, I just was like, I can't. I don't know how we can build it. You're I don't an know. Anti-textist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, a, you're an anti-capitalist. It's, uh-huh. 
just mm-hmm. too and much. And in America, man. in America, we're capitalists. That's first of all, right. You know what? I, <laughs> I same thing with selfies. I feel like you got to earn your selfie. I think selfies are fine, but I feel like people who just have selfies, as that's the only thing, too much, man. You got to earn that shit. Yeah. I, I like a selfie. It's got to be in a beautiful or great, really great place because you're not just taking a picture of yourself. You're, take, you're getting a snapshot of a world that you are in that's captivating for someone to see you there. It's like, I am here. You get a selfie of yourself at the Hollywood Bowl with the fireworks going, sold, done, worth it. Yeah. Well, so, but let's get back to the writing for a minute because oh, I, <laughs> we got two tangent officers in yes, the room. Yes, uh, clearly. So, so I, I will still double down uh, with this. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Let's say I'm a young guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's say I, I, you know, I, I wrote some scripts, some, you know, short films with my friends. There's, pre- there's some something there. Mm-hmm. There's something funny. Right. But like, I also have an opportunity where I could just work for my dad's company. I can make a good living, you right, know. Right. I got maybe got a high school girlfriend. We're planning on getting married. Like, you know, I, I'm at a, a two paths, and I could go down the path of just like, oh, I could be a writer. I could do that, or I could have this like just this nice life. You know, what are you really gonna? And it's like I'm, I'm like I like writing. Yeah, like what do you? What would you tell me to do? You know, do anything but write. <laughs> Again, like it's like Michael said, if you're gonna be a writer, you don't have to ask. You can't stop doing it. That's right. If you if you if you're asking yourself if I should be writing, then you should not. Don't waste your time. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. If, if if you have yeah if you have to ask, then no. People write because they love to write. And I think, honestly, whether you're good or not, I actually think not only should the people who want to write write, I actually think everybody should write. It's the one thing that makes us all uniquely human. Well, is our ability to communicate on the page. It doesn't mean it should ever be shown to anybody. Okay, thank God. Okay. <laughs> but, go. but, but, but. <laughs> I objected, Mutton Ready. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you no, know, but, but people need to write to crystallize their thoughts. You ever write that email to somebody you never send? You're yeah. just like, you want to rip them apart. Right. They said something really awful to you. Right. You write the email because it allows you to face what it is you're thinking about and put it down in tangible terms and allows you to think about something and crystallize where it is you stand on anything. Writing is one of the greatest ways to figure out who and what you are and what you mean and what it is you believe. Whether, Whether you plan on ever publishing or not, writing is a gift. And it's the only gift that no other animal on this earth can do. And there's a reason for it. It's what makes us human. Go ahead. Bring it out. A little tangent. Uh, President Harry Truman was very fond of writing rage letters mm-hmm. after he felt he was wronged by someone in Congress or one time his daughter, who was a uh, an aspiring singer, got a bad review. He would always write out these rage letters, seal them, and then put them in his desk and never send the letter. That's right. Yeah, same with Abraham. Good. Abraham Lincoln did that famously. Um, they talked about it in that book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, where Abraham Lincoln would rarely ever say anything negative or criticize anyone because he knew that nothing good is going to come of it. But he that would book write is the by letter. Dale Carnegie. What's the that? book is by Dale Carnegie. Dale you, Carnegie. Everybody guy. should buy that book, How to Win Friends and Influence Neighbors. It's really an amazing book about how to get a, get along in the world. It's Sorry. a great, yeah, it's, it's a, a great, great quote. Good ab- reference. Absolutely, yeah, it's a great book, and and even the audio book. It's narrate the narration is fantastic. It's very well done. It's very peaceful to listen to. Uh, it's fantastic. But yeah, so but, uh, again, everyone, sh- I'll agree. Everyone should write. Don't publish it because that's See, he just sucks. said everyone should write. I just want to. <laughs> should write. Well, <laughs> just because you write doesn't mean you're a writer. 
Uh, so you know, that's just, correct. That right, is correct. Right? Okay. So so and right when I say right on this show for the rest of this episode, it's R I G H T. Well, Michael was saying something before we started podcasting. I thought was really interesting. I was wondering if we could circle back to you talked about the things that a successful writer needs. And I was wondering, like, to be successful in Hollywood, you said you need three things. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk about that. Two of three things. Two of, oh, excuse me. You need two of three things. Yes. One is luck, one is nepotism, and one is talent. So if you have only one of those things, you're not going to make it. Because you can get lucky and get a break, but if you don't have the talent to back it up, you're never going to last. You can have the nepotism and the luck, which means you have somebody to get you in and the luck to get it done. Or you have the talent and the nepotism, so you get in and you stay in. But if you have just one of those three things, you have the nepotism, you you won't be able to make it. So what in, two in form. what two things do you have? Well, since I have no nepotism, I have nobody in my family in the industry. No nepotism, interesting. Okay. So I, I would say it, it has to be luck, and I would have to admit, you know, talent begrudgingly, for... talent. No, I mean you can. You... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a. Big I was fan. really, I was really hoping you would just say nepotism and luck. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were funnier, but I don't write comedy. <laughs> well, it's it's been an uphill battle for you, I can tell, because you use Final Draft. But um, <laughs> hey, I love Final Draft. I know. I, it's. I mean, it, there's a, there's a it deal with the such WGA, a right? Gift. You type one letter and it puts the whole name on there. You hit return and it goes exactly to where it's supposed to go, so you don't have to format it and do things and make all the margins. Everything is set for you. It remembers every character and every location so you don't have to go looking for what when your people, wording was before. When people get a script... It's so convenient. Is it still the case where... I know when I was like writing scripts with my friends, like, you know, I mean, I'm a pretty accomplished failed TV pilot writer. And Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> but I remember like we would like be... We would have all these like long discussions about formatting because uh-huh. we didn't want someone to get the format right. and read it and realize these guys don't know what they're doing this is the wrong for yes is that still a thing or does everybody because i feel like every other script i read it was like a different kind of right everyone now, had their own way of doing it well uh final draft has format templates for all different forms yeah. so they have you know feature film uh you know i always use cole Haig because uh, it's the classic um i don't use transitions anymore i think they're a waste um, I, like if cut I, twos and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Everything cuts to everything. Why do you need to put cut to in your script? You know, it, duh, it's a cut to. Every shot cuts to something else. You don't need to tell them cut to. It's going to cut to. Now, the only time I'll use something, for example, is if I'm trying to create a cinematic experience and I feel it really is poignant, like a match cut. You may, you may mention a match cut because you're cutting to the young version of somebody's face and their eyes, and you're match cutting to their eyes 20 years later right, right. to really convey to the audience that, okay, this is this person grown up and that's part of storytelling and that's part of making sure that the visual in the audience that the audience is getting the change that happened there and it's about conveying story or or a dissolve which which will uh give you a passage of time right that says time is past right you know and i but i'll only use that maybe you know very twice sparing, three times yeah. yeah very sparing i mean they're they're essentially director notes anyway they the are director is going to do what he's going to do Absolutely. they're going to cut what they're going to cut um so here's here's what i want to say about writing and why you shouldn't be a writer it is the most, sometimes the most painful and 
it, it requires the will of steel to mm-hmm. become a writer because there is nothing, no criticism in this world louder than my own. My <laughs> like step into, <laughs> step into my fucking head for a few minutes. Oh yeah, like the nah, second, I'm good, man. Yeah. <laughs> the second the second loudest critic in my in my life is my mom. So like behind <laughs> behind those two, like you know, first me. I mean the things that. The things that people have criticized about my writing pale in comparison to the way I've criticized my writing. I mean, just the self-loathing and just you look at it and you're like, well, this is shit. Why would anyone read this? And it still happens. I've been writing for over 21 years. And I, every time I write anything, I still look at it and I'm like, well, this is garbage, but I got to plow through it and just but believe. But isn't there a sense of accomplishment that you have after having written what three books now, right? Yes. And you've worked on TV shows, and mm-hmm. you've done a ton of stuff. Isn't there a sense of accomplishment? Like, even though you might not be necessarily like the most proud of it, or you feel like there could be moments of it where it could be improved, don't you look and you're like, "I fucking did that, man! I brought this into the world." Oh yeah, absolutely. But I'm saying that the process is most people are not cut out for. It's they, excruciating. It's excruciating, and it is thankless, and it is it's a tireless job. Sometimes you could write for you know hours and hours and hours and not get anything on the page. You know, you're writing, but you're just racking your brain, writing the same sentence over and over again, or the same. Can we say this for almost anything? You know, well, maybe any creative pursuit, essentially. Like if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a stand-up filmmaker, whatever, like there is a massive process where you're going to experience a lot of self-loathing and rejection because it goes back to my theory that most things are terrible. Yeah, yeah, that's And the reason true. why you have self-loathing and the reason why you are rejected is because most things you make are terrible. And I don't say that as a bad thing. I say that as a thing that you got to push through your crap yeah. to get to like 90% of every joke I'm going to make is going to be garbage, but 10%, man, it's going to be tight. Well, we so got to push through your shit. Yeah, but to you get have to that time. 10%. The thing is, on a, on a stand-up, you have time to kill, and you don't have to hit every beat. When I when I write something that I don't feel is my best, I never show it to anybody. Right, right, yeah. I, I, that's what I wish people would do more: is have the. Uh, you, I just say it's not ready yet. Yeah, it's not that it's not going to be good, and it's not that I don't know what it is. It's that it needs a little more time in the oven. It's just not finished cooking. Yeah, well, if people had the discipline to not post every brain fart they had on Facebook and Twitter. I used to, like, I have fundamentally changed as a person from who I was 20 years ago. I used to think I was, like, bright-eyed and optimistic when I first started writing and, 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 you know, came to Hollywood. I was like, everybody should write. Everybody should express themselves. And now in the era of Facebook, where I see everyone's hackneyed opinions, uh, trite observations, shitty prose, uh, just... The, the most like mundane observations and 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 this this is like what we are elevating to the level of journalism because you see your aunt's unqualified opinion right next to a New York Times article so Facebook weighs those equally why would you get opinions about a very very nuanced political issue from somebody who who necessary who hasn't necessarily done the research or legwork to find out what all the pieces are that go into it versus a journalist who's actually done their... Okay, <laughs> what do you got, Michael? Um, you're basically saying, I think your argument isn't that people shouldn't be writers. Your argument is that people shouldn't be bad writers. Yeah, okay. I'll, you know what, though? I but mean, How do you get good at writing if you don't crank through your bad writing? That's You learn. You have to learn. You read everything about writing you can. And I think I, I've gotten to a place, and I, I feel really blessed about it, that I feel like I've learned enough tricks and enough tools that when I write, I I now can make any and every script I write pretty good. 
Mm -hmm. And I feel really proud of it. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, when I get a writing job from a studio, you know, they will say, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's a, it, they, there's the, the minimum basic agreement and the writer's guild says they can ask you to write a whole feature in four weeks, mm -hmm. which is a lot of work in four weeks. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my response to the producer is we could do that or um, you can give me 12 weeks which is, you know, closer to three months' time and um, or a month and a half or whatever. And uh, if you give me that time, I'm working three times as long for you and, or 16 weeks or four times as long. And I'm, you're paying me the same price, only when you're going to get it, you're actually going to have something where I will have had the time to make every bit of it as good as it can be yeah. so that you're not kicking things out of the script because they're just not there yet. Because there's a maturation process in writing draft after draft and getting it to where it needs to be. I have a, a note process I go through. I, have, I always take a script and I give it to three people first who are not writers mm -hmm. and get their feedback yes. because they'll catch the big problems, the things that a movie theater audience would go, I do wish like, there was there. Do they like doing that? Or yes. Do you, do you they, like, no. Do, do you I, like, I, do I send like love Starbucks movies. gift cards? We're like, hey, man, thanks for always reading my shit. No, no. They, they actually enjoy it. And then the next round, I give it to three writers because then you have more complicated notes and they'll catch the more complicated things the average mm. Joe reader won't catch. And then, and then I will give it to my reps. And uh, after I get their notes, I will then send it to my – I have an editor friend. And I'm incredibly anal retentive about the wording in my scripts. Mm -hmm. And this guy makes me look like Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemount High. Dude, that's my skull. Okay. So that's that's how hardcore he is. I, had, I thought I had this script as tight as it could be. And he went through it with a red pen and cut seven pages. Wow. And, and it just, I was just like, and, and it was a long script and it was very, it, it had a lot of character arcs and a lot of characters. So it's just important to get, get eyes on it. And I agree, Michael, yeah. by the way, I, I totally, I love this process and I do the same as something, something very similar. I send my writing to people who aren't writers first because yes. I, some of the best notes I've ever gotten on my writing is my buddy in Utah who right. like works for an accounting firm. And he's not he couldn't be more removed from the Hollywood industry and his notes are always spot on. Sure. He he recognizes thematic problems, he he points out weaknesses, and he gives it to me straight. Those friends of yours who give it to you straight, they're worth their weight in gold. They're fantastic. I have and I have different barometers that I use for different friends. Like I have one friend who um just doesn't like anything I do. And <laughs> it's okay. On, stop talking about me. Ron, it's supposed to be a secret. Uh, <laughs> but he's he just gives it to me every you know straight and if he so his response is usually meh, he doesn't like it, you know. Uh whatever, what else you got? He doesn't like it. But if his response is it's okay. I'm like, "Wow, he really likes it." This is like, you know, and I just for each person. And then what, uh, an editor is is invaluable. I always tell people, if you're going to write anything, hire an editor. It's the one thing where you will absolutely get your money's worth. An editor who understands you, of, of course, like understands your voice. I, I think, I mean, I work as a, a television editor. Uh, so not with words, but with picture. And it is like, it, the great thing about an editor is you, you give us a sandbox to play in. You give us our walls. And you really like, and once we know those, all we do is we look at life and we look at ways to make things more efficient. We look at ways to optimize everything. And so editors have a way of looking at things and be like, oh, well, we could actually just 
do this and we make it a little simpler. And they're just really good at that. Yeah. So if you have someone doing that for your script, it just it's like that thing your friend did. He took out seven pages out of your script. He just optimized it just a little bit. And it's like it's just those incremental mm-hmm. additions that improve life. And what people don't realize is that you don't have to take the notes. And all you do when somebody gives you notes, you can ask questions about to get clarity on what the notes meant and why they were there. And your only response after that needs to be, thank you so much. You don't need to argue it with yeah. them. Yeah. You don't need to say, I'm going to keep that. I'm not going to do that. Or explain yourself. I, don't that's do what I any hate of that. giving notes for friends who do that. That's like, right. You want to give me, because it, it is a time consuming process yes, to yes. give yeah. notes and, on a script. So thank the person profusely. Yeah. You get one good read out of a stranger because that's how everything is read. Mm-hmm. In this town, people give it one read. And if they like it, they pass it up to somebody else who will get one read. So whoever you get notes from, give them one read. They never have to read it again. They don't need to know if you take their notes or you don't. And don't worry about it. You know, you and, and nothing, remember, all the feedback you get and all that harsh stuff you hear, none of that actually makes its way into the script unless it goes through your head, through your hands, and onto the page. So it doesn't affect a damn thing unless you want it to affect it. Right. Uh, well, so an, another note uh, uh, on that point on why people shouldn't be writers is because too many people have huge egos and they can't get over themselves. So if they get notes or if they see their if they get their first rejection, they're going to be crushed and crumpled. That doesn't mean it's a reason not to be a writer. That's a reason to be a director. <laughs> if you if you can't change what you wrote, then you know what? You're not the person to take it to a studio and sell it. You need to go get a camera crew and go make your story your way and see if you're right. Yes, yeah, I guess. And then you may learn your lesson or you may actually have something. Yeah, I, I'm very reluctant to, if people are very stubborn with like, you know, seeing their vision through, I, I like to at least give them the benefit of doubt and say, okay, well, what evidence is there? Why, why, what body of work do you have? What have you accomplished that I, I should look at and say, okay, he's at least had a track record. Like this person has done something that is similar in this style and, and you know, we can trust their track record. No one's right all the time. No one, even the, you, you bring the most perfect uh, expert director. There's so many Hollywood projects with the best directors, best actors, best screenwriters, and it still fails and then he cooks in the kitchen, yeah. or there's just something faulty about the whole process. But uh, if somebody is so stubborn, at least I like to see that they have some track record. But so many writers, uh, without even a track record, become stubborn, dig their heels in. I've given notes to friends who've written novels that they've been trying to sell for like 10 years. I'm like, change this, change that, and they argue with me. Well, the, the, then the truth is they need to find a different medium. There, there are collaborative mediums, and then there are, and then there are proprietary mediums. And, um, you know, a playwright... Doesn't have to change. Nobody changes the playwright's words without a playwright's approval. Right. Uh, with a film, the, it's the director's vision. Your stuff is going to get changed, and if you can't accept that, do not write movies unless you're just going to direct it yourself and do it on no budget. You know. And I'm going to get into. I want to get into a couple points real quickly about about why writing is the way to go, okay. especially now more than ever specifically in the time and place in the universe we are at, if you write something and you don't want to go through all the trouble of going through publishing and not to, I'm, so I'm going beyond entertainment writing, I'm going to novel writing or article writing. You can set up your own blog. You don't need somebody's approval. You can self-publish your own book. But then you know, I got to call myself a blogger. Well, then don't blog. Then, then, then write the book. Okay, and and write that. the book and self-publish it, and you can do it that. You know, I, I just wrote this book on screenwriting, and I, I, was, I was being urged to self-publish because then I get a bigger cut of everything. But yeah. I, 
I was lucky the number one publisher of textbooks in the country loved my book and they wanted more of it and they paid for an editor to come in to do all that hard stuff. <laughs> and I'm really proud of it and they did it. But I could have just published my own book if I wanted to get it out there. And then look at television. People don't realize in 2008, 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, there were under 150 scripted Emmy-nominatable TV shows. It's Emmy season. We can talk about this. Sure. We're now at where there are 500. Wow. 500. The, it has Damn. grown. There is more room. The multiplication due to the birth of streaming and online and 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 device shows and, and everything – and they're all paying rooms of writers. Yeah. The the amount of they can't hire only the people who have done it before anymore. They need to keep bringing in new blood because the proliferation is so large. If you want to make it in this industry, now is the time. Amen to that. See, I would say I'm leaning more. I was a bit ambivalent, but that little last little bit, a lot of passion, and I'm leaning more towards Michael's view of this. Where I think I I look at life as this: like not everyone is going to succeed at what they want to do. But Absolutely. you have to ask yourself, what would you rather? What kind of regret can you live with at the end of your life? The regret that, hey, you just weren't cut out for it? Or the regret of, well, I don't know because I never tried. Right, yeah. There's and, the so, and, and that's like a personal question. Like, I'm a stand-up. I'm not going to become probably a famous stand-up comedian, but I'm damn proud of myself for trying. And I've had a fun time doing it yeah you well you're a fantastic stand-up comedian but like there's i i know nothing but you should see him sit comedians. down <laughs> i'm great at that too but like i know so many good stand-up comedians and i know so many good stand-up comedians who just kind of fade away from it because yeah. they just get tired yeah or they get a family or their priorities change but like i would be so bummed out if i at 20 when I asked my friends, hey, should I do stand-up? If they were just like, don't, stop, don't try it, it sucks. I'd be like, well, let me come to that decision for myself. Then why did you ask? Because I, <laughs> you need a little bit of help at the beginning. I like that you guys start like you never asked anybody for help. No. It's like, I just had to write, so I, never, I wrote. I like, people ask them, like, I, I, a little I, bit I, of People blood. need mentors. I'm busting Ron's Babcock over here, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll t- <laughs> nice. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Uh, like my own personal. Uh, I I won't say epiphany. I guess it was an epiphany. But when I was deciding to quit my programming job to become a writer full time and focus on my writing career, it was very difficult decision because I, I had a very well paying job. I had a lot of job security, and I remember calling my brother up and saying. Hey man, I'm thinking about uh, you know quitting my job and just focusing on my writing and seeing if I can make a career out of this. And he he asked he phrased this the most perfect, the wisest way possible. He said, "Well, what's the worst case scenario if you do that?" And I said, "I I don't know." He goes, "Do you think you could get your job back?" I'm like, "Absolutely." And then that's when it clicked for me. I realized at that moment, my life was the worst case scenario. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it sounds like you're coming around too. Yeah. Oh my God. So I was like, well, I have to, I have to do something. That's right. Your life was it's, the before. Yeah. It it's, really like, it's like the girl, it's like the girl sitting across the bar. Yeah. It's like that. You see this woman and she takes your breath away. Yeah. And you're just like. Holy crap, I can either sit here, look at her, and walk away because I know she's going to say no. I, you know, I'm not that attractive guy. But you, but you, two choices. You walk up there and you let her reject you. Right. And, and you give it your fucking all. Yes. Or you don't. 
You either way, it's a no. Yeah. But on one opportunity, one of them leads mm-hmm. to a potential opportunity. Yes. You may get a yes. I, yep. And for that reason alone, you take your freaking shot. When you get the uh, when you get your chance to talk to somebody who blows your hair back or to say something to the world that you've always wanted to say or you think can help the freaking world, you're going to just say, you know what? I would rather work in an office cubicle and, and, and sell insurance or whatever. Insurance salesman, you're very necessary. I, I give you all my love and respect. But- there are things I need to say. There are things that make that make my life worth living, and that is always go for it. Yeah, why would you take that away from someone else, Maddox? <laughs> yeah, Maddox. <laughs> I will say this: <laughs> Don't become a writer. Don't do it. It's miserable. You'll be awful. You'll. you'll but he terrible. just said you should go for it. You know, I, I, two I, seconds ago. I think based on what Maddox said, it's a little trigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, look. Okay, I I mean for myself. It was something that I was already doing at the time, and I thought if I focused on it, I could get more done. And by the way, that was one of the worst decisions in the short term to quit my job because I I basically – um, it stifled my writing. You know, I read this in a writing book one time. It said if you want to be a writer, if you want to write – the the worst thing you can do is free up your schedule because you're going to do anything but you're going to clean your house you're going to organize things and it took me procrastination yeah procrastination and it took me two years to develop a healthy work habit and ethic to be able to get my writing done oh, I'm still I, I'm actually very good I call it productive procrastination where I get things done <laughs> oh I get so much done that, yeah. that need to get done that do it just like, have nothing to I, do with the, the yeah, writing <laughs> but they're, they're not the most important thing that needs to get done like yeah I do need to uh, renew my uh, AAA membership yeah. or I do need to go through my tax documents and scan yeah. them into my computer or and I so I do all these things so like I when I need to write something like I'm not getting any writing done, but my life shit mm-hmm. is so on point. Mm-hmm. Like I get all that other stuff yeah. done. Yeah. Because then I like, well, I I don't feel as bad. It's like, well, I did get I did get, I did get some work done today. You yeah, know? as long as you get something done, it still feels good, but it's not right. But, but it's and, not yeah. the thing that's gonna yeah. be important for my life. It's the Look, I still struggle with You know that. what they say when you and to your point is if you want to see something get done, ask a busy person. Yeah. Because they have to make the time where they can fit it in and they will just get it done. Yes. So that's the argument for keep the job until you have the career. Yeah, you right, don't right, need right. to like, people will talk about like, oh, uh, should I become a writer? It's like, you don't need to just all of a sudden You don't need quit to quit everything. everything else. You could still do writing. Just right. something else has got to give. You just right. got to find a way to make You just got to leave your family, count. stop being a father, you know, focus <laughs> on your writing. Lock yourself in a room, invest in uh, body odor protection because you'll stop showering. Yeah, yeah. yeah l- l- I'll just ask you this. If you want to be a writer, do you like being alone? Do you like being alone with your own thoughts? Well, if the answer to those questions are yes. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you found a career. Yeah. There you go. We got some super chats. We got one from Popich Bob and says, doesn't Maddox have an I'm a writer button? I do not, but I'll look into that. Stan Morris for 199 says, just the tip with Ron Babcock. That's <laughs> is that the, Maybe that should be the segment. Or we got Babcock tips. That's awesome. Yeah, ba- the Babcock tip coming up. Uh, and then we've got another one for, uh, from Popich Bobbin for $5. Says, number one reason not to become a writer, there are easier ways to make more money. What do you say to that, Michael? Because I, I think that's what well, Ron was about saying. about making money, though? I mean, if you, if course, you have a yeah, family. Yeah, if it's about money, d- don't do it. Yeah, don't do you, it. No, 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 money, no. Yeah. Be, get into finance and go into banking. You know, go yeah. where the, literally go into the business <laughs> go, of money. Go where they make the money. Go where the, it's not rocket science. If you want to be famous, make a reality show. You don't have to be that creative. You just have to be outrageous. You know, if you want to make money, th- there are any other businesses better for that. 
Writing is hard, and you can't control who's going to read you, when it's going to happen, and you have you're just waiting for people to discover you. If you really want to make money, get into stand up. <laughs> you can make literally thousands, if not hundreds, of dollars a year. Yeah, uh, you you know those twenties you get when you uh, show up oh, to yeah. a comedy club. You uh-huh. know? If they don't comp you your drinks, sometimes they'll give you three twenties. It's tw- crazy. You get sixty bucks sometimes. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> things are going pretty good for the old Babcock. Nice. I didn't know you were making that uh, stand-up check. <laughs> nice. All right, guys. Well, we should wrap up this debate. Any final words, Michael? Why should people become writers? If you have to ask, you don't. It's not your thing. But you, if you need to write. And I think everybody should write. Just write. Just do it. And look, if you don't know the trade and you don't know what you're doing and you don't read the books, don't expect your stuff to sell. Don't be precious about your words. Don't, you know, think that when you when you write something the first time, it's going to be great. You know, it. Right. You just you, writing is rewriting, and so yeah. you have to just really give it your all if you don't give it your all and you don't study it and you don't learn what works and what doesn't and read all the masters and really put in all that time then you don't want it bad enough and you're not going to make it as a writer amen to that and i will say this is my final uh argument is don't become a writer you'll be miserable it's horrible it's horrible i love it i love it i wouldn't do anything else with my life don't do it guys i'm trying to save you in the uh the chat room the pavich babin says maddox is fucking crazy didn't he change the host file of Facebook to be more productive. That's true. So on your computer, there's a very it's a it's really deep in your uh, you know your operating system files. But there's a file called hosts, and in it you can block certain websites. So in order to force myself to be productive, I will block Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, any website, uh, even Google News for a while because I became addicted to just checking the news every every what about like minutes. Pornhub. Uh, yeah, like Red you could, Tube. You could block that. But did you block that? No, I never check it. So you weren't dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I I decided I decided a long time ago I'm never going to go to any of those sites because uh, I don't trust them. I think there's malware and a bunch of garbage on them. So I yeah, just have to uh, I just have to draw my own porn. <laughs> Animation, all new reasons. Yeah. I love, I love your business. I love your DIY aesthetic. Right. <laughs> Actually, true story. When I was a 16 year old kid in Utah, uh, you know I. I had no access to anything, and it was the, all I had was a Super Nintendo and Mario Paint. So I actually did draw <laughs> draw my own porn because I had nothing. Oh, and my, I, God. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> it was like it was pretty decent, you know. And I, I used the stamps available. There was a Yoshi stamp, and there was like a, a Mario stamp. <laughs> oh my! God. Things we did not want to know about our host. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> so I, I still have like this Pavlovian effect when I hear the Mario Paint theme song. I just get a boner out of nowhere. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's it for the debate. If you want to vote, go to madcastmedia.com. We'll be reading the results of this week's debate next week. But we have the results of last week's debate, which is last week, Michael, we debated, does comedy have to be funny? And it seems like the answer is obvious, but there's a lot of movements right now where people are kind of deconstructing comedy and making post-comedy and things like that. Off the top of your head, what do you think? Should comedy be funny? Andy Kaufman did a lot of really original things with comedy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, it was more about shock and was more about awe. And it was more about, oh, crap, what is he doing? And I don't know if that qualifies as comedy. Yeah, But I don't think... I think that there is art house and then there's comedy. And when people want comedy, they want to laugh. 
So though I can see the argument for the non-laughter version of comedy as kind of an esoteric artistic take on getting people to, to come up and think of bemusing ideas, I want to laugh my ass off, so it's got to make me laugh. I, I would agree with that, and I think that, that Kaufman probably pushed it to the limits. He did. I mean, some of that stuff, it, you don't even know if it's if – it's, uh, is it is it funny? Is it intentional? What's the intent behind it? Is it just supposed to be shocking? Because shocking or tragic or tragic, yeah. It's, it's, I think he really pushed it. He really pushed the limits. Well, we put it to the audience debate, and with eighty three percent of the vote, yes, comedy should be funny. Wow, congratulations! <laughs> Rocket science. Yeah. Who knew? Finally, a reasonable <laughs> opinion from our audience. Finally, <laughs> and then the second part of the debate last last week we talked about a new type of cafe in Indonesia that's a lizard cafe, so you can go and pet the scaly waddle of a lizard while you drink your coffee. And so I asked the audience, would you go to a lizard cafe? And the choices were, no, lizards are gross and boring, or yes, I like stupid scaly animals that are boring. And with 53% of the vote, yes, I like stupid scaly animals that are boring. You guys are fucking idiots. I mean, I would go just for the hell of it. What, why not go? I want to have that story just to so I can say, hey, I went to the that stupidest is a selfie. cafe ever. That is a worthy selfie. And I earned it. I yeah. flew all, all the way, way there. To Indonesia. <laughs> okay, all right. You know what? You talked me into it. I'll go to a, ca- a hey! cafe. <laughs> hey, that's what the bros are doing right after this podcast. <laughs> having a bro night, a bro day out to go to Lizard Cafe. <laughs> Jesus. Here, stroke my. <laughs> you are going to stop right there. You, you can, you can iguana. stop right there. You leave your iguana. <laughs> okay. Now it's oh, yeah. time for the Babcock tip. Ron, what do you got for us? The first ever. Okay, first ever Babcock tip. Listen, just coming at you from a place of I'm a guy who likes tips and I'm a guy who likes saving money. So I want you to go to your washer dryer. All right. Okay. I want you to take your dryer sheets. I want you to pick those up. Wait, wait. Are those the fabric softener sheets? Yeah, the fabric okay. softener sheets. Uh-huh. Or your fabric softener. Okay. I want you to take those. I want you to chuck that right in the garbage, okay? What? You're never going to buy those again. Those are a waste of money. All right? And really? you know what else? It's the shit in the dryer sheets that you're putting on your clothes. They say, yeah, it's fine. Guess what? It's not fine. There's a lot of weird shit that they put in there. It's not okay to put that on your clothes and then on you. So what do they do? They make your clothes smell nice. Yeah, make my clothes smell nice so I can like mask the f- the flavor of of Maddox. <laughs> yeah, here's what you're gonna get instead of those. All right, now dryer sheets cost I don't know maybe like four five bucks, you know, or like like two dollars for like a thirty six count. Yeah, you're uh, up to ten bucks for the three hundred fifty count. Yeah. Um. So instead of spending ten dollars on that thing that you're gonna have to buy for the rest of your life, uh, I want you to get a set of wool dryer balls. Wool dryer balls. Yeah, they're about a little bit bigger than a tennis ball. Okay. They're wool. They come three to a pack. You get them on Amazon for eight bucks. Uh, You put those in your dryer. Those replace your dryer sheets. Now, what they do is in addition to um, taking out the static cling that dryer sheets do, that's like the number one thing they do. They take out the static cling. Uh, They'll actually decrease your dryer time because as they bounce around, they're moving the clothes around, allowing hot air to get in quicker. So... You're also decreasing the amount of money you're spending just with your utilities with your dryer. So it takes less time to dry. Yes. Right? It takes out the static cling. Right. But what about the smell? Yeah, what about the smell? You just get um, your girlfriend's essential oil and you put one drop on and then all your clothes smell pretty. You put the drop on the bull, uh, on the uh, wool on, ball? On the wool dryer ball. And that oh, shit also gosh. never... I've had mine for like five years and they're fine. 
I use them. I play with my dog. My dog loves them. My dog like kind of chews at them, and they're still fine. They last forever. They cost less than ten bucks. So wait, it's an you put dog saliva on the balls and then put them. In your, <laughs> I'm just checking. She's got a tiny mouth. It's not that much not dog saliva. Excuse um, Ron, I, slobber on the clothes. Okay. I, I got I got to hand it to you. I was waiting for my smart ass remark, and, and you could see my face slowly shift from like whimsical to to, to learning. <laughs> I think I'm gonna try this because you talked me into it. I think that's you're right. Good tip. Good tip. It's the Babcock tip. Thank you. Good tip. Good tip. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta get a, a, every a tip is gonna you. be small, something tiny like that. Where I will, I will save you ten dollars at a time for the rest of your life with every one of them. That's actually tips. a fantastic. It's a tip. great tip. I but think I'm don't that. put them in your dog's mouth. That's All right. That's, okay. That's, that would I. That's, that's uh, if you, other than that. If you saw Ladybug, you can't tell her no. <laughs> yeah. Someone in the chat room, Firebear says, "My clothes smell like dog now." Ron <laughs> <laughs> hooked on Montana says, "Essential oils cost like a million dollars." No, they fucking don't. No, they they... Find your essential oils. The ones that you put into food that are food safe, absolutely. They cost like $30 a bottle. The ones that you use for like aromatherapy, that shit is so cheap on Amazon. You get like a lavender scent one for like five bucks and you buy one bottle of lavender oil. It's like the same thing as buying a jar of cinnamon. It's going to last you the next 10 years. Uh-huh. It's going to last you 10 years. It's going to last me a month. I go through cinnamon like nothing. I <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what do you what do you do with cinnamon? I eat so much cinnamon. Wait, it's really good for you, actually. I, that's what everyone says, dude. It's I, you put it. Uh, I put cinnamon in my coffee and yeah. like, on my yogurt in the morning because it's uh, yeah. full of um a uh, shit ton of magnesium. So if you actually oh. suffer from migraines, ma- like yeah. cinnamon is actually a really great huh. thing to help uh, magnesium to help decrease the effects of uh, migraines. Well, for a while, so I, I, my favorite coffee shop. If you ever come to Los Angeles, and I think they have them in New York now too, is Pete's. Pete's Coffee Shop. It's just mm-hmm. Pete's favorite. Pizza's my favorite, yeah. I, I, pizza's I, good, yeah. It's good. I like it better than every artisanal I, coffee shop. I'm a, I'm a Groundworks guy. Which one? Groundworks. Groundworks. Is Groundworks good, yeah. iced coffee is best iced coffee I've ever had. Well, um, so pizza's the best. Uh <laughs> <laughs> It's like the same fucking thing. I if know. I gave you Groundworks, you give me Pete's. You'd be I like, know. oh, this is great. I, I think they both served like Stumptown anyway. So, uh, so but like I go to Pete's and uh, I put so much cinnamon in my coffee that people stop and do a double take. They're like, what are you doing? And I say, so I just really like cinnamon. They're like, well, you know, it's good for you. And I ask them why. And no one could ever give me an answer. Ron, you oh, gave yeah, me an magnesium. answer. Yeah. But they in, usually in stores, they're like, well, uh, I, I think it's good for your heart or something. And then <laughs> and I realize what it's really good for is your social health because everybody stops and, and talks to you. <laughs> Who's that guy putting all the cinnamon in his co- You know what I put in my coffee? Or I, I used to, not so much anymore. I used to put a lot of honey in yeah, as a sweetener, yeah. and that was good. And I thought it was good for me, too, until I learned that the heat from the coffee kills the health properties of the honey. Yeah, I learned so that, too. I was like, mm, but it does make it taste really it, good. It, it tastes good. I, I, I think it diminishes not entirely kills, but yeah, I, I read that a while ago because I, I got that really expensive. What's that honey? The... Um, from New Zealand or something. What's it called? You know the uh, uh, manuka, manuka honey. Oh, manu- yeah. Oh, that's the fancy. It's supposed to be honey. very yeah. good for you, but if you put it in hot coffee or tea, it kills all the properties. Did I tell you? So one of the, my favorite things. This is a tangent. One of the favorite things I do on the road is I love to buy local honey when I'm on tour because uh, I just love like I, just, I don't know. It's kind of cool, and it's all. And so I was driving through the south, and I saw this sign that said "local honey five dollars," and I was like, "Fuck, that's hell yeah, that's cheap." And then I was pulling in. And then I looked at the sign above the sign. So the, there was a small sign that said "Local Honey Five Dollars," and then above that sign was another sign that said "World's Largest Confederate Store." Oh! <laughs> and I was like, oh, do I have oh, a choice oh. to make? Oh my gosh! Sounds like you're making two purchases. Today. But- <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know what? I got to admit, store wasn't that big. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, it made me feel kind of good. I was like, that's not that big. Still, yeah, the world's largest. Did you see that clip that's going viral right now? Um, I, I forget. The, there's a movie about Trayvon Martin or something, and they're talking to people in the South who are still putting up their Confederate flags and that sort of thing. They're like, well, why do you do this? And he says, well, you know, uh, they make the arguments like uh, the Confederate flag was never about hate. And the, the, yeah, the, it was. the <laughs> he's like, no, no, it's her- it's heritage, not hate. And the the, 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 the Civil War was not about slavery. Yeah, well, and it was about a lot of other things. And he goes, well, can you name them? He goes, yeah, of course. And he goes, well, why don't you give me like, you know, two other reasons other than slavery that, that weren't slavery, the, the top reasons. And the guy's like, well, <clears throat> I'm not a historian. <laughs> so then he goes, well, can you give me one other reason what the Civil War was about? He just sits there with a blank, gumpy look on his face. Just it's like, fantastic. just say states' rights. That's like the big one that That's they always go, one, yeah. states' rights. States' rights. One of which just happens to be slavery. Yeah, what right are you trying to enforce here? Uh, it's really about the right of rights. <laughs> yeah. The right to take away others' rights? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's my God-given right. All right, well... Uh, we should get to some voicemail. I got a ton of voicemail this week. We got some really good ones. So last week, Michael, we talked about uh, the world's fastest roller coaster. Actually, a couple weeks ago, and we it went like 120 miles per hour. Pretty fast, right? That sounds pretty fast. Yeah. This guy calls in. He's like, "Uh, that's not that fast. You guys have only gone 120 miles an hour. Uh, I've gone so much." Fa-. Anyway, here's a caller who called in to uh, talk about because we called him out. Oh yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah. Well, he called in to talk about how fast he's he's gone because we were like. Probably not that much faster than 120. Here he is. Hey, Maddox. Uh, every time I call in, motherfuckers seem to play the huge bag of the week again. Every single fucking time. Yeah, I'm calling about Ron wanting me to let him know how fast I play. You see, I have, I have a, a motorcycle, and um, it was 196. Um, and I wish I could go faster than that, but my bike won't let me. So, that is fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a 196 on yeah, a motorcycle. 196 on a motorcycle. And Mr. Tough Guy here is like, yeah, I wish I could go faster, but my wife won't let me. <laughs> wait, is that... Oh, wait, was he on the bike then? Because that yeah, audio, was, that call quality is so terrible weird. Call. I almost didn't play it, but I really wanted to because... <laughs> He's, again, douchebag of the week. He's like a, a five-time winner. So anyway, Michael, I know you have some place to be right after this, so we have to wrap you a little bit early before we uh, get to the news and the rest of the voicemail, unfortunately. Where can, where can people find you? Um, I'm at www.michaeltab, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-T-A-B-B-W-G-A.com. And uh, if you want to... F- uh, follow me on Twitter. It's just Michael Tab on Twitter. It's at Michael Tab. It's the that's it. I'm on Pinterest as well. And is the book on uh, is the book available for sale right now? It is. It is. It's on Amazon. There's a link on my website that I just gave you. And if you follow that link, I have an associate account. So it costs you the same amount of money, but I'll actually get an extra buck for it. So and it's called Pre-writing Your Screenplay. <laughs> Pre-writing Your Screenplay: A Step-by-Step Guide to Generating Stories. And there's so much wisdom, I, Michael. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Like seriously, I know we're like busting your balls about this whole writing debate thing but i agree with everything you've been saying it's just fantastic there's so much wisdom in it and and i uh, i actually want to announce my new book that i'm writing called pre-writing pre-writing your screenplay 
and I think you guys are really going to like it. Yeah, well, that sounds pretty good. Make sure to buy mine before you buy Michael's, just so you do it in the right order. Yeah, well, I'm not an idiot, of course. Just make sure you give it some forethought. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Mike's, yeah, the subtitle for your book is Forethought. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Michael, again, it's michaeltabwga.com. Yes. Okay, and that's T-A-B-B, two Bs. Don't forget the second B. Uh, Thank you again. We'll uh, link to your Twitter, plug your book as well. Please check it out, guys. There's so much wisdom in it. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a freaking blast. Absolutely. I have another voicemail. So this is a mechanic calling in with a correction because I said going from zero to 75 miles per hour in four seconds is pretty fucking fast. And I said, it's probably faster than most race cars. Well, we got a race car mechanic calling. Shit. Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Maddox, I was listening to the podcast from two weeks ago. I forgot what it was about. But you said something at the tail end of the show where you talk about that roller coaster, the new fastest roller coaster in the world, or fastest launch roller coaster. That just, it just made my head explode with, with the pure cancer that I got from it, which was, you said, zero to, zero to 78 miles an hour in two seconds is faster than any race car. And that is 110% incorrect. I work on race cars for a living. I know all about them. I can tell you. A top-fueled drag car goes from zero to 300 miles an hour. Anyway, I could not comment on it. Uh, Fuck Wales. Wait, so how how quick did the... I I had to speed that up a little bit. He went on for like a minute explaining why race cars go faster and how much faster they go and how many horsepower. I'm like, no one gives a shit, buddy. Yeah, you know it doesn't go fast is the explanation of how race cars go. Damn, son, where'd you find this? (laughs) What is that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a new drop. Um, <laughs> so, Ron, you were busting my balls yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago when I said that uh, you were like, oh, you know that uh, that that talented Fortnite guy you like to watch? Yeah, that dude. Yeah, well, that guy. yeah, we got a voicemail about that. Listen oh, okay. to this. Hey, Ron, I was just letting you know that that talented Fortnite guy that Maddox was having you watch was actually Maddox. Boom! <laughs> yeah, Are you... me, no. It's going to be like... I was about to be impressed, actually. No, like, no. Really? It's Nick A30, but I, I've actually gotten pretty decent at that game. Uh, like to the point Great. Where... Good for you. <laughs> where does that go on your resume? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll be uh, MLG, Ron. Maybe I'll, I'll be it's MLG. It's not that fucking gaming thing. Yeah, maybe. Major they League do game. make millions of dollars. Though. They do, yeah. We got another voicemail. This is a caller call out about the caller who called in about Minnesota. Because uh, last week... Some guy called in talking about Minnesota and how people in Minnesota don't really say duck, duck, gray duck. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, the oh, I remember that, yeah. Hot dish, whatever the fuck that cheesy bullshit is. That yeah, you- remember we hung out with Taylor later that day, and he was yeah. like, people totally say duck, duck, gray duck. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor was really He fired was real up. fired up about it. Yeah. It was like the first game, and he was like, that caller is bull. He's trolling you. <laughs> he messaged in the chat room while that happened. He goes, that guy's a troll. And then he called. He came over, and he was like, that guy was totally trolling. Yeah, he was <laughs> so, real fired up about yeah. it. Well, we got a voicemail about this. Let's Hey, this is Mike from Minnesota again. I have a caller call out for the other guy from Minnesota from the comedy has to be funny episode. Caller call out. You've never had hot dish and you don't know anybody who says duck, duck, gray duck. I question whether you're from Minnesota. Wow. Later. I think we need a couple more people. If they live in Minnesota and you listen to the show, call in and let us know. Have you had hot dish? 
And do you say duck, duck, gray duck? And do you know Taylor personally? We will, I, I think the answer will be yes to all of those. Oh, and also, is that whole bag, beg thing a real thing? Because I still don't buy it. Yeah. Oh, man. I got another voicemail about that. I don't think I brought that in. But some guy was like, yeah, that's not. But if you're from thing. Minnesota, please call in. I honestly want to know. Hot dish, duck, duck, gray duck, beg. You know what? The bag, bag thing, just if you're a person, right, and you are going around in society and you always hear people saying this one word differently than the way you're saying it, wouldn't you be like, huh, maybe I'm saying it wrong? Or like just watching TV and radio, the word bag gets said and it's never big. Yeah. So I just don't buy that that's a thing because my brother lives in Minneapolis. I go visit him frequently. I'm, you know... Not like I'm up there all the time, but I'm, I've been up there long enough where if somebody said big, I go, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> I beg your pardon? <laughs> yeah. Like well, I, I've done grocery shopping there and no one's ever said, hey, sir, do you want a bag? <laughs> no. Like, no, I want a bag. Yeah, I would like a bag and I would la- not like to beg. Yeah. Uh, so we got another voicemail. So I, I guess in the, um, the, the Paul Flart episode, we got a... Uh, I, I told people a story. I don't even remember how this came up, but I was talking about what makes me fart. And, uh, you know, I drank milk and ate some pepperoncinis or something. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And it uh, caused, like, the the milk to curdle. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Voice about yeah, this. I know, now I remember that. I know, this, I know this is late. I just catched up on the podcast. But listening to you describe milk curdling inside your stomach is the grossest thing I've heard in a long time, and nothing grosses me out. I mean, like, does Maddox cheese come out? But yeah, that's the grossest thing I heard since my classmate, they found teeth and hair in her stomach, and they figured out that she ate her twin, like she absorbed her twin in utero, in utero and yeah, that's the grossest thing I've ever heard since that. But yeah, uh, I'm pro the fart shaming movement, and I'll buy the t-shirt. Thanks. Hey. Wow. <laughs> you rank up there. That is fucking... First of all, that's yeah. crazy yeah. that they found teeth... And hair. ...in her stomach. Yeah. Because she ate her twin, and then it never, like, fully digested? Yeah, it's super... Because you can't digest teeth and hair. That's the only... How can you not digest hair? You Yeah, hair is not digested. But how does that not make its way through? I don't know. I don't know. But the fact that your pepperoncini milk cheese curdling, like, ranks up there with that... Yeah, grosser than eating your own twin. Yeah. Yeah. You're uh, a disgusting man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I, I can't control what my body does. I just control what I put into it, and then it decides, man. It's not my fault my body's making cheese. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you shit cheese? Uh, no, I didn't shit cheese, Ron. I just shit diarrhea. Um, <laughs> there's, here's one last voicemail. So the most British caller in the universe called in again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This guy, uh, listen to this voicemail. This is great. Oh, I wish Michael was here for this uh, this one, but uh, we'll still talk about it. Listen to this. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, morning, Rob. Morning, Maddox. Um, Rob? Yeah, no, not Rob. Sorry, Ron. <laughs> Daisy, bollocks, I did it again. Uh, this is the British caller from last week. Um, I just have a quick question for the both of you. It's not related to the show, which is brilliant, by the way. Um, I have a quick question for the both of you. What is... Your favorite film of all time. Ron, favorite film of all time. Maddox, favorite film of all time. And the guest. I'll also ask the guest as well. My favorite film of all time is Die Hard. Um, I think it's superb. Anyway, um, love the show. Um, Yep. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Bye-bye. 
Bye bye. What a great caller. I love the I love the most British caller. Um, I mean, first of all, Die Hard's a great choice. Great choice. I which I saw very late in my life. I just saw it like two years ago for the what? first time. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I that see, surprises this, me so much. Yeah. This is something that drives people crazy about me, which is I see movies out of order. So I've seen Trek three. And I saw Alien, the fourth, the Covenant, whatever, and I, I liked it. I could see why people would get drive crazy. I yeah. mean, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see why people would. Yeah. Because it shows a, a, a basic disrespect. It's like reading the last page of a book. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> no. like they went through all this work. No. They have this history. And then you're like, yeah, no. fuck it. I'll tell you. I'll watch the last Harry Potter first. I'll and tell it's you. It's like, well, fuck you, man. But that's a serial. Like, I, I'll tell you why my method is better than watching them in order. Because everybody unanimously tends to hate the fourth or fifth sequel of a movie, right? Or the third, like Shrek 3, everybody hated. I saw Shrek 3, and it's the first Shrek movie I've ever saw, and I thought it was hilarious. I, th- I thought, this movie's great. Why is everyone panning it? I saw Alien Covenant. Loved it. And I came out of the movie, and, I, and my friend was like, oh, that movie sucked. I'm like, why? What sucked about it? He goes, well, there's all the other movies were better. I'm like, wait a second. I enjoyed this because I had nothing to compare it to. So you're telling me that there's an even better version of the movie I just saw? You went back home and watched like the original yeah. track, and you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. So I enjoyed two movies, whereas you only enjoyed one, idiot. Uh. Who's <laughs> the moron now? And so that's the thing. I saw Die Hard 4. Never saw any of the others. I saw, like, saw parts of part oh three. Oh, my God. Then I went back and watched Die Hard 1. I'm like, oh, my God. This is the best movie. It's so good. It's such a good movie. And I'm like... Well, I still enjoyed part four because I didn't have it to compare. You know, comparison is the thief of joy, Ron. And so that's why I watch movies out of order. You're welcome. There's there's a fucking Maddox tip. How about that? I like that Maddox tip. Yeah, yeah. I actually, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would say, well, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie, the first thing that popped into my mind, and, uh, you know, this might, this might be, this might not be my final answer, but it's Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Army of Darkness. I've watched it so many times. Army of Darkness is up there. Big Lebowski, Ghostbusters, and Rambo First Blood. Yeah, I mean, I always look at when people ask favorite movie. It's for me, it's it's watchability. It's how many times have you seen the movie? Um, I'm a big fan of '80s movies. Love uh, John Hughes films. Uh, I'm actually just finished reading a book called Brat Pack America, which is all about. It's like a love letter to '80s teen movies. Love that shit. It's such a good book. Uh, I would say, but mine, it's in that world is Gross Point Blank. With, oh, I've never uh, seen it. John Cusack and Mini Driver. It's really good. Uh, yeah, it's great. Awesome soundtrack. It's just one of those things about it's about a hitman who goes back to his um ten year high school reunion. Which is weird because in the movie, like, mm, it's the twenty year. Like that's like oh. what they call <laughs> it the ten year. I'm like, this is why is it ten? It is you all look like this is your twenty year. Yeah. Uh and I don't know. I I think that's my favorite movie. Other movies out there for me are um Groundhog Day. Yes, yeah, Groundhog oh, God, Day. Groundhog Day might might be actually my favorite movie. Groundhog Day is uh, and Rushmore. And uh, if I'm going to go with watchability, like it's, I wouldn't want to say it's my favorite movie, but based on how many times I've seen it, Fifth Element. Fifth Element. I can't not watch The Fifth Element. If The Fifth Element is on, I am watching The Fifth Element. I just can't not watch it. Yeah, I'm. I it's mean, a weird, like it's on. It's like fuck. This is what I'm doing now. Yeah, I guess. I guess on in terms of watchability and how many times I've seen it. I mean, Army of Darkness was that movie for me. Where one time I was flipping through channels and I was on Univision, so they had the Spanish dub. Oh, version. I would watch that. Yeah, yeah. It was the Spanish dub version. It's of It's so Army much Darkness. fun to watch stuff in Spanish. Well, I was watching it for like 15 minutes and didn't even realize it was in Spanish because I knew <laughs> I knew all the lines and then I I was like, oh, that accent sounded weird. I'm like, oh yeah, it's. Whenever you hear a character be like, "Qué?" Like, <laughs> I would say probably Groundhog Day. Actually. Actually, because it's like I love I remember reading a bunch of um, history of like uh, they actually calculated how much time he actually spent repeating the day like they did the math being like how long would it take becoming a virtuoso piano player if you only had one hour a day to practice right like they kind of like had an attempt and 
and then they asked the director and uh, uh, Harold Ramis, Harold Ramis did Groundhog Day, right? Yes. Uh, and he he agreed. He was like, but it was about ten years that he spent huh. in that kind of purgatory. Wow. Which, whenever I watched Groundhog Day, I also was like, that doesn't sound like a bad yeah man way of spending a life, like to be in this perpetual yeah. state of just self improvement. Like I don't know. I just was like, I don't know. There's worse ways to and. and well, I, I thought about that movie a lot and um, thought about the limits of travel that you could do if if you have 24 hours to get from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, whatever, um, mm-hmm. to anywhere else in the world. And you and eventually you're going to exhaust every transportation possibility and find your actual limit of how far you can get in the world because you might not be able to make it to like Thailand or Bermuda in a day. And even if you do... You're going to spend like an hour and then wake up, you know, the next day in the exact same location. So I thought about like, what is the possibility? Like, what if How you try to... How far away you could... I mean, you... Yeah. I mean, you could get anywhere... I mean, what is it? Well, I don't know what the longest plane ride in the... I know like 18 hours, I feel like, is what it takes to get over to like India or like New Zealand or something like yeah, that from something. New York. So he would either have to hijack a plane and try to get there faster just to see if he could. I mean, that would also be the interesting remember, thing. remember, he's working in before the internet... Like yeah. cell phones, yeah. like he would have to get a ride to the airport, try and buy a ticket right then and there, hope that there's a flight. Yeah, I mean, it w- I, but if you were spending the day over and over for ten years, I mean, you would Find exhaust out. all this stuff. You know, like, all not? the flights, all the all the options, everything. I mean, it, it would be it would probably get boring after about twenty years, uh, maybe less, because you know the exact thing that's going to happen every single day with everything. I would say, yeah, Groundhog Day. I'm going to switch it to Groundhog Day. Huh. It's my favorite movie because it's a it's an ultimately. I don't know. It's a hopeful story. Only after like he exhausts all the, the the, the terrible things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, like it's does he realize like oh the satisfaction is like kind of doing the right thing. Right. And right. so it allows him to go through that. So the one thing that's not constant in that story is him. He's changing. Whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got a super chat from Snooze Pad for five dollars Canadian. He says, "Hey Maddox, is Fight Club still your favorite movie ever?" Oh shit, I forgot about Fight Club. I do like Fight Club a lot. Don't make Fight Club your favorite movie. No. That's it's, like the CrossFit. It's, it's of not favorite the CrossFit. Movies. No, no, if you say Fight Club, God, I already know we're going to talk about libertarianism at some point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, ugh. I, I here's, a, do. here's a conversation full of just your opinions. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I do like Fight Club a lot. I like I, Fight I, Club too, yeah. but when it, you make it your favorite movie, it just says too much about you. It's not my top five. My top five are um, Army of Darkness, Big Lebowski, Ghostbusters, uh, Groundhog Day's got to be up there. It's up there for me, man. I would, I'm going to go with that. That's and, my favorite. Yeah, Groundhog Day. And if not Groundhog Day, then every other Ghost Godzilla movie ever made. Uh, is, I mean, that's is a... my, Yeah, Godzilla as a genre is my top five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love Godzilla. Uh, which more more news to come about that at some point. But anyway, guys, we should get some yeah, quick. Fire Bear says he, he nailed it uh, in the chat room. He says Fight Club and Boondock Saints, the two movies in every dorm room. It's <laughs> like you just don't want to be the guy at the party who says Boondock Saints is your favorite movie. Oh, uh, it's not. I just, I saw that movie. It was fine. It was what it was are... awesome when I saw it, and then I like I rewatched it. I was like, oh yeah, no, this doesn't. People from Boston up. love that movie because yeah. it's all i mean it's all a boston made movie right yeah big lebowski tim someone in the chat room's like big lebowski really yeah why not big lebowski is a great movie i've seen that so many times yeah and it, it the first time i saw it in theaters big lebowski was just okay and i thought yeah I that happens to me with a lot of movies yeah uh, they're, they're, i see them and i think yeah and then i watch them again and i fucking love them. uh-huh and that that's what happened every time i started watching big lebowski again and again and again oh, or I, it also sometimes it happens with movies that a lot of people love 
And like the first time I see it, I'm like, eh, it was okay. And then, yeah. like, I don't know. Like, sometimes I have to watch a movie a couple times before I really warm up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Um, yeah, Big Lebowski is one of those movies I just kept watching, and it was just fantastic. Uh, Firebear says Godzilla, the Toho's rule. That's true. The Toho Studios Godzilla movies. The American ones are usually shit. Um, the latest one's okay though. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to the new one coming out. Anyway, we should move on to some quick news headlines. With our supreme journalist Maddox, me, your host, <laughs> you know, like the you just, the self-imposed title there. Ron? Yeah, you just you just pr- press print on a couple of news articles. <laughs> you didn't you didn't do any journalism. You literally just like what's trending? Okay, this is good. I actually, you know what, Ron? You're wrong because I do edit this copy. I I do oh, change wow. the copy because this first story was written so poorly. Uh, you, know, you know they say writing is rewriting. <laughs> yeah, this first story was written so poorly. I had to change it because I couldn't read it. It's California town elects golden retriever dog as mayor. It's <laughs> another one of these stories. Now the person who wrote this story wrote these like really stupid Trump jokes and also wrote it from the point of view very earnestly. Of someone who's never heard of a town electing a dog for a mayor. So she was like, can you believe this? In the the writing, it was so poorly written. She goes, although giant orange babies have been elected recently, (laughs) a town in California have taken things one step closer to ridiculousness by electing a dog as mayor. Yes, you read that correctly. Oh my god, it's like everyone's aunt is the author of this article. Yeah, yeah. You read that right. I'm a not dog. making this up. Can you believe it? A dog. <laughs> this is in Idlewild. Uh little little uh, city. I know Idlewild. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a great great little town. Yeah, what's the dog's stance on all the wildfire yeah. uh, that the Idlewild suffers? What's his plan? Bark. <laughs> Idlewild so it says here, Idlewild has allowed a golden retriever named Maximus Might Dog Mueller II to become its mayor. In fact, he's been in office for five years. The entirely cat and dog mayoral race of 2012 was contested by 14 dogs and two cats. People paid $1 to vote, and all the proceeds were donated to animal rescue shelters. Maximus is apparently often seen cruising around town in his personalized dog-proof pickup truck and makes regular public appearances. Dog-proof pickup truck? It's probably just a truck that is you know has like a bouncy pad inside so if it crashes the dog doesn't go through the windshield but if you say dog proof pickup truck to me that's a pickup truck that dogs can't get into oh yeah i guess wait no if it no if a house was child proof no okay bulletproof prevents bullets so dog proof prevents dogs dogs, but but child proofing doesn't prevent children really (laughs) i wish it did i would child proof the shit out of me i I I I'm imagining it's just like a pickup truck with a crate in the back. Okay, yeah. <laughs> they throw the dog in the crate. Um it says here by all accounts locals and visitors are completely smitten with the furry mayor. Andrea Valdez, a visitor, said Max is awesome. He is super friendly and he lets my son give him treats. Yes, cuz he it's a fucking dog. dog. Every dog <laughs> lets their son give like everyone no dog ever turns their nose up at treats. Yeah. It's their dogs. They're dogs. They're going to eat it. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you, it's a treat or it's shit they find. They're going to eat it anyway. Yeah. I mean, okay. Congratulations, Idlewild. You're whimsical. Yeah. <laughs> way, to, way to go. Another, uh, oh, and if you guys aren't following Ron on Instagram, it's at Hey Ron yeah. on Instagram. And Ron has been posting 
the most hilarious. Oh, they're the best, aren't the, they? The, the, the South Pasadena headlines. Heartwarming South Pasadena Adorable headlines. South Pasadena headlines. I got a couple good ones coming up. Oh, they're so- just like... We get a local weekly paper, and I, I, I should have been doing this all year. The first one we got when we first moved to South Pasadena, we got this paper. It must have been going to the old tenant, so it kept going to us. And the headlining article was like, retiring police chief credits love of his wife for career success. <laughs> that was the headline front page news. And it was just like the most heartwarming, like, I couldn't have done it without Cindy. She's always been there for me. And so it's all just shit like that. Like, you know, mayor giving out free hugs. So we, we're probably going right. to elect the dog as mayor next year. Yeah. One of the one of the headlines you posted recently was uh, local high school team beats expectations and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But then here's the fucked up thing about South Pasadena. It's a town of about 30,000, still in the Los Angeles metro area. Every nine months, something truly horrific will happen. <laughs> Like, remember that uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, there was that a woman who was on ER. She was an actress on ER. She got fatally shot yeah. by the police. That was down the street. Like, it, it was not that kind of. It was in South Pasadena. Yeah, yeah. But that's like, so it's weird to have this paper where you get all this like cheery, feel good stories. And then once every nine months, there'll be a child kidnapped. And it's like this horrific story where you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, it's really crazy. What if it's a cover? Like, this is happening all the time, these horrific stories. And they are just like, every now and then one will slip through and they fire that guy. Yeah, like- yeah. <laughs> hey, what are you doing, man? Come on, just talk about the, the bake sales. Well, I have another story here. World's worst commutes, 30 cities with the worst traffic. And I looked at... Can you can you guess uh, what? Uh, I, I know it's not LA. Is not number one. LA is not number one. I wouldn't say LA is even in the top ten. Correct. It's not in the top ten. Um, I would say the world's worst commute is going to be not London. Will be in the top ten. I say it's something like something like Mexico City or like some like Southeast Asian country. Bingo. It's Mexico City. Wow. Yeah, okay. You really got that. Yeah. But, but, and I want to say like Southeast Asian country, there'll be some like Tokyo or maybe Tokyo will be there in top five. Tokyo's not, but it is Southeast Asian. Bangkok, Thailand is the second word. That, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, followed by third was Jakarta, Indonesia. Fourth was Chongqing, China. And fifth was Romania. So those are the top Damn, five. Really? Yeah, Romania. Mexico City, man, it is fucking nuts. That's what I hear. Yeah. That and so if you so that's the kind of like the one of the anti-libertarian arguments I like to make. You know, in Mexico, it, they're very lax on the driving rules. China, they're very lax on the driving rules. All these countries that are kind of like libertarian leaning with like regulating driving, they have the worst traffic. Like China has almost no rules. Like people, I, I was in a cab one time. He was tired of waiting in traffic, so he started driving on the sidewalk. And he just kept honking Jesus at people. Christ. I'm like, well, welcome to China. I guess this is happening. So, uh, and by the way, I think 10 or 15 of the top cities with the worst congestion are all in China. Oh, it's because, I mean, when I was I was in Beijing in 1999, and the cars were on the road, but in, in Beijing, and this was like in the central area, it was like, I want to say like maybe 10 to 20% cars 80% bicycle. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I went back to China in 2008 and it was like the script had flipped. Flipped. Yeah, yeah. it's like cuz you have this burgeoning middle class right. society. They want a piece of the good life. A lot of people are buying cars. It's yeah. taking up more space, you know, causing more pollution. I I liked it when I I went there early in uh in the early 2000s too in China and I saw just so many bikes and it what was fun. They, do you think they have ride sharing scooter like or like the like the limes and the birds like that were coming out here? I wonder if they're like popping off over in China yet. I I wish. I hope. I mean, that's where they're all made, so <laughs> <laughs> you imagine a few of them will just pop 
on. Yeah, we should keep a couple of these. <laughs> keep, yeah, they just hop right one out of the factory. I wonder if that happens. Like, if if a device gets made over in China and then they're like. Mm, this is a good idea. And then they just kind of take it and uh, run with it. Well, I mean, they do make their knockoffs immediately and they hit the markets. Uh, I mean, that happens all the time. They do not They do not give a shit about U.S. patents. Um, we Stan Morris in the chat room says, Chongqing, China. Did I hear that right? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I know it sounds like yeah. a made-up name. Wow. It's a city called Chongqing, but the it's not C-H-I-N-G. It's C-H-O-N-G-Q-I-N-G. And the Q in Chinese is pronounced ch. Oh, okay. So it's Chongqing, China. But most Americans would look at that and say it's Chongqing, China. Anyway, it's Chongqing. And uh, Los Angeles was number 12 on the list. Moscow following, you know, uh, just barely edging out Moscow, Russia at 13. And the only other American city on the list was San Francisco at number 30. Wow. Okay. Yeah. London was also on the I list. I would have thought that San Francisco would have been way worse than um, L.A. L.A., yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they got the, the BART, the subway system. Yeah. Yeah. Bride to be rages after guests refuse to pay three thousand dollars to end, to attend her wedding. Did you yeah, hear about that? I heard about this. I can't. I don't even know. Is this real? It's, I think so because I read the because it post. just she sounds so awful. She sounds like a monster. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I didn't read the whole post. What's the backstory? Well, so a post shared on Reddit by a user named So Long and Thanks showed a Facebook post by an anonymous woman complaining about her wedding guests. It all started when she and her fiancé decided to hold their wedding in Thailand, which would have cost the guests $3,000 to attend. When only nine people out of 150 RSVP'd, she decided to switch the wedding to Hawaii, which was only $1,000 cheaper. Not only did that not work, even fewer people confirmed that they would be attending. In a raid, she unleashed hellfire on Facebook and even threatened to delete people from her friends list. Wow. And I read this, and, and my instinct is to not believe it because you know, it sounds outrageous. But she named names. She said her bridesmaid originally offered her $3000 to come to the to the you know to the wedding in Thailand but and then who can be that clueless yeah i mean listen destination weddings that's a ballsy move if you're going cuz and it's it's a weird thing when you get an invitation when you're like oh shit i can think of no better way to spend $1500 than to go to Maine and have a schedule i guess that's my vacation this year yeah you're like <laughs> your wedding your cool. wedding yeah i don't know man people make people make such big deals out of their weddings and you know, it's like this big thing. I the the people I see who are happiest when they get married are, are people who just make a small occasion, small affair, no little to no planning. They just get it done and they move on. Do you want to hear the saddest thing ever? Yeah. Uh, I have a buddy. He got married at 19, which when you're watching two 19-year-olds, first of all, the funniest thing I've ever seen is him complaining to the bartender and going, "Come on, man, it's my wedding." <laughs> And not getting served at his own wedding. Oh, God. All right. That is so sad. And then, all right, but the, and then watching them get married, beautiful couple, but like watching two, like a 19 and a 20 year old get married is like watching a jumbo jet take off without any fuel. <laughs> you know, you're just like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, don't. So, hey, great analogy. Spoiler alert, they got divorced. What? Yeah. And they, and they had a crazy nice wedding. I mean, it was like, it wasn't like ridiculous, but it was like a, still a wedding. So, you know, that's going to cost you 10, 15, 20 grand. Yeah. And he, I think he just, they got divorced maybe seven years ago. She's married, remarried. She has a kid now with a, a new guy. Uh, she's delightful, awesome person. They're both great people, but he just finished paying off the wedding. Oh my God. Like, and it's been like five, six, seven years, something crazy like That's that. That's so sad. And it's That's... like, I don't understand people where they like, hey, let's start a life together. First things first. 
let's get in some serious yeah, debt. debt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had like, fr- just make it like we were buying it. I don't know why we all do, like it has to be this ridiculously big thing. It just needs to show commitment to each other. Right. I would love to get married. And then like instead of doing a honeymoon, I would love to be able to like take two months off and just drive around the country and like visit national parks. Yeah. You know, with my beloved. Like yeah. to me, that would be the coolest thing. Like I'd rather take the money do something and spend with it. it on that yeah that's something that would go for two months rather than something that'll last for six to eight hours right i re- i remember one time a friend of mine a good friend of mine was getting married and she her her side of the family and the uh groom's side of the family had raised something like thirty thousand dollars for the for the wedding and she was like yeah it's it's probably not we're trying to get a little bit more i'm like Dude, that's $30,000 you've raised for a wedding. Why not just cancel the wedding and put it towards a house? Put it, Make it a down payment. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. And she goes, well, no, you know, it's for the wedding. I'm like, are you kidding you me? Buy a house. Put the wedding in the backyard. Yeah, you're going to buy something that's going to last you 30 years versus you're going to blow thirty grand in one night? Like, like, how much was a wedding back in the 30s? Like a normal wedding. I would love to see that. Like how much a wedding was in 1850, 1900. 1950 2000 yeah and uh, like you're telling me that like this is how we're supposed to get married it like seems and people like it just seems weird like because it's a turn and burn affair so you show up you get your venue and they're like okay well here here are the menu options okay well here's the the centerpiece okay here's the list of djs it's the same fucking shit you're just choosing out like individual things and they're like well if you really care you'll get this centerpiece right and it's like it's just a shakedown man and it's like venues i have friends who like want to have a little uh party at a restaurant here in la and then i think this is fucking should be illegal but you'll like try and say like it's not oh we're just have a party and they're like oh what's it for like oh it's just a family gathering and then once they find out it's a wedding they just immediately the price gets Uh doubled Uh which to me is like fucking insane yeah like that should be like illegal. It should be legal. We're like, why? Why is it matter what it is? I am just renting out the room, and they find out if it's a wedding, all the prices double. You know what, Ron? I changed my answer. Should be law. <laughs> double it, triple it, discourage that shit. Make it more painful for these idiots. You suckers want to do this? I would love to. If anybody got married, uh, listening to this, call in. Let us know how much your wedding costs. Yeah, I would be really interested to see like. To see how much an average wedding costs. I, I know Mormon weddings are super cheap. I had a friend a long time ago in Utah ask me to be a, a groomsman in his in his in a wedding, and he's like, "Yeah, well, here's the information. There's no open bar. Yeah, there's no bar. Well, at all. It was just a potato chip casserole, probably <laughs> for for dinner. They had angel cake um, and like punch or something. Anyway, um, I, I had to rent my own tux. I'm like, fine. I will whatever. say this though: every Mormon girl I've ever met has been like crazy attractive. That's what everyone says. I remember working with a Mormon girl at a restaurant, and it was like insane. Everyone says that, and I I remember every time I go back to Utah, I look around. I'm like, what the fuck are people talking about? Everyone here, this is like, looks like their face is scrunched in a little too much. You know mm. what I mean? And I'll show you because like I'll, Julia Stiles, you know, her face kind of looks a little yes, scrunched a little in. scrunched in. Like she so, just smelled a fart. If you yes, if you Google. Utah cheerleader, okay? Every cheerleader in high school looked kind of the same because that's, you know, people are like, oh, cheerleaders are supposed to be the hottest girls in school, right? Look up Utah high school cheerleader. All the girls have the same face and it's well, all listen, kind you, of You might want to search that in incognito mode just so you don't <laughs> piss off your wife because I don't think she's going to buy it. Maddox told me to look it up. <laughs> Pie Sniper in the chat room says, Mormons are cool. Suck me. Uh, <laughs> they are cool. I guess. I have, uh, I've had a bunch of Mormon friends. I, 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 yeah, I got Mormons del- in my family. They're uh, delightful people for the most part. 
I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of weirdos. Oh, there's you know, some just like everywhere. Oh, so this wedding, my friend, my friend getting married in Utah. He goes, oh, Maddox, never get married, man. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, man, it's crazy expensive. I'm like, oh yeah. He goes, yeah, I think I've already spent two thousand dollars on this wedding. <laughs> <laughs> like I, even then, I had like no frame of reference, but I'm like, that sounds really low. That sounds like like absurdly low. How do you how do you how do you spend so little? Yeah, I and then I and then I you know it was uh, most most uh, Mormon weddings are are done in like church gyms, so you know they cut down on costs and that sort of thing. I get it, you know, cut, save 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 your money. I hey man, I say I, go on a honeymoon. I, well, we just got. I feel like this uh, new segment we've been getting real. Yeah, about, like deep favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, the finances of a wedding. Uh huh. This is for a second. Is... I thought I forgot we were doing a podcast. I know. I'm just really enjoying this conversation. <laughs> yeah. You guys, How long have we been talking? You guys now? are benefiting just from our banter here. Uh, so we have uh, we have one last story here. Marine treasure hunter. Speaking of money, set sail to find 300 billion pounds worth of war gold. Oh, I fucking love these kind of stories. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 300 billion. There's pounds. so much like treasure from ships and i i think this stuff is like so interesting that people go out and they're like you yeah, buried treasure hunters but at sea and they keep finding it too so extensive research and it's over- in the middle of the ocean so it's kind of up i think it's like up for grabs yeah i was reading about that's that. that's why they- i don't know like does it belong to a government like yeah they who kind can of lay claim to it well they kind of talked about it this in this article but i wasn't very clear i'll read it and see if we can figure it out but it says extensive research over many years has identified the locations of hundreds of the 7500 merchant ships lost in both world wars so i guess there were all these merchant ships that would transport you know gold and silver well the gold bullion was shipped to the u.s and other locations for safekeeping and to pay for munitions and goods whilst there wasn't much information on which ships carried silver the gold shipments were classified as top secret meaning that data on possible locations were scarce so they wouldn't even transport like the coordinates or anything of these gold ships because they were so paranoid that someone would intercept these you know pirates or whatever so that they wouldn't even document where these ships were going a lot of times so if any were lost at sea they were just gone forever uh and they had a little bit of information on silver ships so the international salvage convention states that the salver gets back costs and then shares equally the value of any salvage materials with the owner the department of transport the custodians of the war risk insurance program suggested to mr reed that the government would not take more than a 40 percent share However, Mr. Reed says the government stance is when you're successful, we'll talk to you. So, so, but how do they know who the owner is? I guess because they're able to like document where the ship and you know where like what kind of ship it was. Yeah. And, like, well, that gets a little identifying tricky. characteristics, like you know. Yeah. So then that gets a little tricky because if you find like a, an old Greek warship that had sunk, does that money then belong to Greece, the country of Greece? Because you know the government's gonna, of course, they're gonna say, yeah, that's ours, that's ours. But I mean, there are like the government. I mean, to this, this is a great win for a government because listen, we're not gonna get this shit. Yeah. So this is it incentivizes people who have the equipment and the know how and the knowledge and the the passion to go out and find this. So it's like, yeah, they're gonna take their cut, but they're also gonna want to make it so that these people keep doing this because this is just like free money for the government. Yeah, you know, somebody else is going out and doing the work. It's like, yeah. yeah, we'll break off a little piece. You keep that. We'll keep the rest. Why should they take any of it though? I mean, they're not looking for it. They're not finding it. They're not but doing it. Still anything. theirs. It's. I mean, the, oh, you mean the government the who, who issued it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's I, oh yeah, it's a win-win. I mean, it's it's totally like it, it, you know, 
I mean, it's a government. They're going to get get what you know their money. But like, I like, I have a dream of like, if I would love to turn into an old man who just has a ship and hunts for buried treasure, yeah, scuba dies all over the world. Like, how fucking cool would that be? I'd do that tomorrow, dude. Dude, I know. Yeah. It's spearfish in the morning, hunt oh, buried yeah. treasure in the afternoon. Yeah, fuck it, dude. God damn, take a shit off the side of the boat. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to uh, someone who. I don't want to say who, but he said he, he's he serves. Yeah, and he took a sh- one time he took a shit in the water, yeah. and I asked him, like, "Is that a normal thing for surfers to do?" He's like, "No, <laughs> not at all." But yeah. he had just swum out, and it was so hard to get past the break, and he right. had to take a shit that he just like took his wetsuit down. Oh my god! And I'm like, I was wondering how he did it. Like, did he lie in a fetal position on the surfboard and just like poo it out slowly yeah. in the water? But he's like, "No, I did it underwater," and I'm like. That's so fucking gross. Have you ever shit in the ocean? Never shit in the ocean. I mean, I've peed in the ocean. Peeing, great. It's yeah. great, yeah. Never took a shit in the ocean. It's hard to pee in the ocean. I think it would be hard to shit in the ocean. I think so, too. Unless you absolutely had to go. And I would you peek I your mean, hand? Would you poke your hand under to take a look at it? What? The you're, ocean? You're, you're, no, your turd. Oh, it would float to the top. I, it depends on how much fiber you eat. I've like, never <laughs> took a shit like that, so I don't know. I never even thought about doing that. The only thing I could see is if, like... You had to take a shit, which to me would be diarrhea, which would be the grossest thing to do because yeah. you'd just be shitting on your. I mean, have you ever seen a hippo shit underwater? No, it's hilarious. I, it's just like I'm gonna YouTube that. and crap, and it and oh. the tail comes down like a windshield wiper, chopping off turds. But anyway, you were really saying, you've never shit underwater. Hey, we got we got an expert in the room, Paul Flart. Welcome to the chat, Paul Flart. He said, "Used to go on my journeys on a boat, would jump off and shit frequently." <laughs> of course, of course, you do, Paul Flart. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, welcome to the stream. Guys, by the way, Paul has just announced that he's going on a fart tour. What does that mean? Yeah, he's going to six different cities, eating a bunch of shit, and then farting it out. So <laughs> I, guess, I feel like I've been on a fart tour my whole life. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's just been a tour of my apartment. Uh, <laughs> uh... Well, that's man. I feel like we when there's only two of us with these news, we really delve into these topics. Yeah, this is a bit. This is really really interesting. Well, uh, yeah, make your make sure guys follow Paul Flard on Instagram. He's posting when the tour locations will be, and one of them will be in Los Angeles. So oh, we gotta go to that. Yeah, Paul, if you have a chance, we'd love to have you in the studio and uh, you know go out for some uh, chicken wings and chili. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some warm glasses of milk. Yeah, I'll get some milk. No, no pepperoncinis. We don't want to turn turn into cheese. Yeah, we don't want to curdle anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we should wrap this up, guys. Don't forget to follow Ron. It's at Hey Ron on Instagram and at Ron Babcock on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm at Maddox Rules. Do I? I don't think I've ever plugged my shit, have I? I uh, uh, maybe. I don't know. At Maddox Rules. That doesn't sound like I've said. And I've hey, said tune it in next time. There'll be another uh, Babcock tip. Yeah, Babcock. That I'm gonna put so hard in your face. Yeah, you're gonna get a hard tip right. <laughs> Right in the face. <laughs> right in your right in your face. Um, if you guys have a suggestion for a Ron Babcock tip sting, all right, a musical sting. Oh, that'd be tough. Because we used to have that for Rucka. Listen to this. It's a Rucka wrap up. And that was like Jesse P.S. from Potawful saying that, and I added the uh, you know the scratch track to it. So if you guys have a suggestion for a sting for the Babcock tip, send that in to us. We'll possibly use it on the show. We'll play it on the on a future episode. We may even have it be a contest. That might I've, be kind of. I've always wanted to have my own sting. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it'd, it'd be fantastic. Uh, we got another comment from Paul. He says, yeah, filming the eating of food and then getting interviewed by cool humans and doing a Q&A whilst farting. So that's what you have to look forward to when uh, when when uh, Paul comes to L.A. Uh, Fendula Rats says, you just plugged your shit for two hours. <laughs> 
yeah. on my show where my logo is just like all over the background and on the screen and my URL. I'm like, have I ever plugged anything? <laughs> my God, I can't believe it even. Not- Oh my God. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. uh, uh, thank you again to our guest this week, Michael Tab. Fantastic guest. Really fun episode. Uh, check out his book, guys. Again. I'm honestly going to check out his yeah. book. I, that was actually the way he spoke about it was so like, I don't know. I really like talking. About I love the way it. Mike like most talks. time when people talk about movies, like yeah. that part of movies, it's just like, oh my God, I want to fucking kill myself. Like, yeah. I don't want to listen to you. But I really enjoyed the way he spoke about it. It was Absolutely. really, and I love the idea of like figuring everything out before you start even like i don't know it just it seems like a very economical way of going through a creative uh journey and you can tell how much experience he has just as a writer because of the way he talks every sentence sounds like it's structured like a writer would structure a sentence which is very thoughtful very intentional very preconceived so it's it was fascinating listening to yeah, him i've totally been writing the wrong way for like ever <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually gonna check this out because this, this sounds like a very useful and, and an interesting book an interesting read uh and don't forget to vote on the website guys madcastmedia.com thank you again to the rear admiral of tangents ron babcock thank you thank you to our guest this week michael Tab. but most of all you're welcome yeah, Maddox. Dave Chappelle was super, super fucking subtle in talking about Bill Cosby, but he straight up has the very next segment be about, all right, let's talk about Bill Cosby. He rapes what he says. It's subtle. Subtle. Not sure if you picked up on that. Dumbass. <laughs> okay. Douchebag of the week. In at the buzzer, another douchebag of the week. Hey there. Don't forget to subscribe to Madcast shows on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Okay, bye. Madcast Media Network. <laughs>